Amen, amen. We're glad that you're with us this morning. We're glad that you tuned in uh, with us online and Facebook Live, and welcome Northwest Baptist. What a wonderful worship time we've had together this morning. I hope you sang in your home and you sang loudly because our Jesus is King, amen? He is Lord, even in the midst of all these things that we're going through right now as a nation, as a people, as a church, our Jesus is still on the throne and we must rest and have hope in that. And so this morning we enter into the Passion Week, we enter to the culmination of history as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, the city as the Passover lamb that is to be slain for the sins of the world. God's story is unfolding before us. And at this very moment, Jesus begins to enter Jerusalem as he will be the perfect sacrifice for sinners, bringing them back into right relationship and fellowship into the presence of God. Now the question that's on the mind of the people of this time in Jerusalem is this. Who is this Jesus? Is he the Messiah? Is he a prophet? Is he a teacher? Is he King, who is this Jesus? That's the title of this morning's service, this morning's passage that we're going to, li- to, to look at this morning. And the purpose of preaching this, this sermon this morning is to reveal who Jesus truly is so that we can have a proper response to him. Because who Jesus really is determines how we live our life. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21 as we look at the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, if you will, as we look in the book of Matthew. All four gospels have the story of the entry into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, but we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew, which highlights Jesus as king throughout the entire book. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to begin in verse 1. If you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word, that's what we do when we're together, and we're going to do it when we're in our homes together online. So we're going to do this as we stand and read God's word together in your PJs. Now, Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. Now, when they drew near... To Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied with a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humbled and mounted on a donkey and a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. 
The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks and sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees, spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before them and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. When they entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for our people gathering together online and hearing the word of God, being encouraged in our hearts and minds and souls to remind us of who you are, who Jesus is. Because at this moment in time, at this very difficult and hard situation, Father, we need to be reminded of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that in the midst of all chaos, of all suffering, of even the death on the cross, Father, you had a plan, and in your plan was the salvation of your people. May we be reminded who is king. May we not forget who our Savior is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I have an aunt who loves people. She's an outgoing aunt. She loves, she, loves, uh, she loves life. And anytime you're around her, you get to meet her, you, you just are uplifted in your spirit. There is joy when you're around this person, my Aunt Emily. She's never met someone she didn't know, and she loves strangers, and she's not afraid to talk to them. Um, she was on a vacation trip one time to Phoenix, Arizona, and she happened to stay at the same hotel of the Chicago Bulls. Um, we're talking about the 1990s Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman. Now, if you don't know who Dennis Rodman is, uh, he's the guy who wore the green hair, the, the leopard hair, a, a rebounder extraordinaire, uh, friends with uh, Kim Jong-il from uh, North Korea. You, you know him. And he has multiple piercings in his ears, but he also has multiple piercings in his nose. And she looks at him in the elevator and she says to him, not can I get an autograph, not can I ask for a picture, but she says to him, how do you pick your nose with all of those earrings? Now after they laugh for a little bit, someone says in the elevator, do you know who you're talking to? That's Dennis Rodman. And at the end of this story, the city is stirred up. Jerusalem is stirred up by this Jesus who has resurrected Lazarus from the dead. This Jesus who's gone about preaching this, this gospel of good news about healing the blind, healing the sick, calming the storms, moving 
the demon possessed. And they asked this question. And the same question must be asked in our world today. Who is this Jesus? Because really, who you believe Jesus to be really dictates how you live your life. The book of Matthew, and one of the reasons why I chose to read from Matthew this morning, is it because it presents Jesus as the messianic king. Matthew chapter one, Jesus is presented from the genealogy as the son of Abraham, the son of David. We see the, the wise men coming to Jesus to worship this king. Jesus begins his ministry in the book of Matthew with the words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew shows him as the, he has authority in his teaching. He has authority over sickness, healing many. He has authority over nature, calming the storms. He has authority over the demons, casting them out into pigs. Jesus has authority to forgive sins. And he builds his church, giving the keys to the kingdom to the church. So for the whole of the three years, Jesus is revealing himself as this messianic king. Now on his way to the cross, he reveals himself to Jerusalem as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Turn with me to verse one. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, came to Bethpage and to Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what is spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put him on their cloaks and sat on them. This is our first point this morning from this portion of the scripture. It is Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Nothing says king like riding on a donkey, right? A beast of burden. A donkey is called a beast of burden because it's meant to carry the load. It's meant as an animal of work. It's interesting that Jesus would be the one to carry or to bear the sins of the world upon the cross. He chose a colt of a donkey 
as his coronation process. When you, when you think of a royal coronation, you think of white horses and ornate carriages and representative of the majestic, the glorious, the, the, the dignity fit for a king. In 1838, Queen Victoria of England, during her coronation process, was, was, wore a crown with giant rubies and sapphires surrounding a 309-carat diamond. Her scepter was capped with large diamonds cut from the Star of Africa, and it weighed 516 and a half carats. So the Queen of England's coronation process was this elaborate coronation of royalty and Jesus is on a donkey. Why? Because he's pointing us to the scripture. He's pointing us to the truth of the word of God. He's pointing us to Zechariah 9.9, which speaks, was spoken by the prophet. This is what Zechariah 9.9 says. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. Jerusalem here is referred to as Zion because Mount Zion is the highest, most prominent hill in Jerusalem. And is often referred to in the Bible as Jerusalem or Zion, the people of God. And Zechariah prophesied this 500 years before the king would ride into Jerusalem on a colt. Zechariah prophesied that this king would be no ordinary king, but would be the king who is declared righteous and having salvation. Jesus is not like Israel's other kings. They were often unrighteous. They were often taking for themselves what they wanted. Not recognizing God for who he is, but creating idols so they could justify their own means, their own direction. Even King David, who was a man after God's own heart, he took and he ate he saw, he took, he ate in rebellion against God's design. Yet this king would be righteous. He would be bringing salvation. He would be the humble servant who would give his life for his people. He would be the suffering servant who would bring peace. Verse 10 of Zechariah 9.9 tells us the king on the donkey would bring peace. Isaiah 53 tells us how he would bring peace. It says Isaiah 53.5, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. The stripes on his back 
from being crushed, whipped, and the sacrifice on the cross. You see, the Jesus taking the penalty for sin would bring us peace with God. The propitiation for sins, that's a big word, meaning appeasement of the wrath of God. Here we see the gospel on display, Jesus bringing peace. So many times we think that we can appease God by offering him gifts or sacrifices. Yet the only propitiation for sin, the only appeasement for God's wrath was the perfect son of God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who will humble himself and die on the cross. He would give his life for us. You see, the people at this time, the people in Jerusalem as Jesus enters, thought that their king would save them from the Roman government. Maybe like Moses rescuing the people from slavery of the Egyptians. Yet this Passover... As they were entering Jerusalem for the Passover, the crowds would swell to over a million people in this city. And they're coming for this Passover, this time of remembrance. But the Passover was not about remembrance of Moses saving the people from the great nation of Egypt. But the Passover was to remember how the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost of their homes and they, that they were spared by the blood of the lamb from the angel of death, from the wrath of God, from the judgment of God. And as a result, God's people were spared And as a result, they were to go and respond to this salvation, to go and worship him on Mount Sinai and ultimately enter into the promised land. You see, the king was not there to save them from an earthly government. The king was there to save them from the wrath of God. Jesus says in John 18, 36, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. You see, God in his grace and mercy was offering the Son the king as the perfect Passover lamb. In verse eight, we see this. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road and the crowds that went before him, that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
Our first point was Jesus is king. Our second point is this, Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is the savior, the promised, the coming one who would save. They're laying their cloaks down. They're placing these tree branches on the ground as if Jesus was walking on the red carpet. Yet this red carpet was full of old, dirty clothes. Tree branches cut from the trees that they had. This was an ancient custom for kings to show the respect, the submission to his authority. John tells us that these tree branches are palm branches, which signify victory, triumph, peace. The people are in this mob-type hysteria. They've heard of, about Jesus. They don't really know Jesus. They've heard about him. And they're crying out in one voice, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is from Psalm chapter 118. I actually sent this to you in an email this morning. But Psalm 118 verse 25 says this, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Do you guys know what the Greek word for Hosanna is? What is it? You guessed it, it is Hosanna. That's right, they just transliterated it from the Greek into English, Hosanna. Do you know what the Hebrew word is for Hosanna? Hoshiana, close, you almost got it, Hoshiana. And the Hebrew word, it comes from the Hebrew word, and here it is used, the only time it is used, Psalm 118, 25, save us with the intensity of now. But the word took on different meaning the longer it came to be and the longer the Jews would use the word because of verse 26, the messianic promise. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the, Lord, the word literally meant salvation is here. Salvation has come. So when they're shouting Hosanna, they're saying salvation is here, salvation has come. They use the title of the son of David, the messianic title, the one who will rule forever. Hosanna in the highest in reference to the praises of our God. Yet, there's a problem. We know the story, we've heard the story. The people, they wanted to see Jesus on their own terms. They wanted a king who would destroy the Roman government. And the same people who were shouting Hosanna just a few days later would be shouting Barabbas. We want 
Barabbas. Crucify him. It's no different today than it was 2,000 years ago. People want Jesus on their own terms. As long as this Jesus will satisfy their selfish desires, they'll follow him. They'll even praise his name. But when the word of God confronts them on their sin, their need for a savior, they curse him. They turn away from him. And it doesn't look the exact way that they want Jesus to be in their life. They don't know what to do. You see, after this, Jesus would go through the temple, cleansing the temple. He would confront the Pharisees and the religious leaders on their self-righteousness. He would, he, would, he would confront their religious practices set up by rules and regulations. He would expose the hearts of men, their rejection of the Son of God. And he would warn the people about not being prepared for the second coming. And he would warn them about the final judgment where he will separate the sheep from the goats. So the question is, who is this Jesus? This is what it says in verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Who is this Jesus? Is he someone who can just get you stuff? Is he your marriage fixer? Your anger management, management counselor? Is he your way to live your best life now or is he the messianic king you see how you live your life is a response to who you believe Jesus actually is is Jesus worthy of you giving up your own life for the sake of the gospel is he worthy of your worship and praise even in the midst of suffering? Is he worthy of being your only hope and faith and trust? Or is he only worthy if he provides you health, wealth, and happiness? This is our last point. We get this from verse 10 is who is this Jesus Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of our adoration. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our thanksgiving. 
And when we look at our world in light of the gospel, that God so loved the world that he would be willing to give his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We see the hope of the gospel in Christ, the messianic king who came to conquer sin and death, not to conquer the governments or to set up an earthly kingdom but to invite us to a heavenly kingdom. You see, the irony of God's story is that Jesus is not this young carpenter boy who grew up in the hinterlands of Galilee to be the suffering servant rejected by men. You see, the story is Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God, took on flesh and made his dwelling among men and became a servant to the point of death, even death on a cross, to save his people from their sins. Jesus is like the king who sits on the throne, dressed in all splendor and glory, and he sees his people, and he sees their need. And instead of going to them in all, all his splendor and his glory and his magnificent riches, he goes to them in servants' clothes. pauper's clothes, dwelling among them and ultimately giving his life for them. You know, when I read this passage, I see this king, but it's not truly who Jesus actually is. This is a picture of Christ's humility. And Revelation tells us actually who he is. It tells us that Jesus will come again. And when he does, he will have all his brilliance and his splendor, not as the humble king on a donkey. We ought to see Jesus as the warrior king who has conquered sin and death. Revelation 19, 11 says this. Read it with me. I want you to picture this. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, no longer a colt of a donkey. A white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire. On his head are many diadems and his name written that no one knows but himself. 
He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on his white horse. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is a much picture, much different picture than the one we see of the triumphal entry, the humble servant who will give his life for mankind. And yet Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, is the warrior king, the messianic king who humbles himself for his people. Not only this picture do we see in Revelation, but we also see another picture here with people worshiping this king with palm branches, I want you to envision this again as we read from Revelation 7, which again, this entry into Jerusalem is picturing the ultimate entry into the kingdom of heaven. Revelation 7, 9 says this, and after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall, now, they shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. You see, when we read these two passages, we see the ultimate fulfillment of what is happening here. The coronation of Christ, and yet he is already king. Presenting himself before the people as the king who would die for them as the king who would give his life to save 
his people. You see, as we come through this Passion Week, we're in a different place in our life. You're in your home. We're gonna have Good Friday service and we're gonna celebrate Easter in our homes. But we, may we never forget, even in the midst of all this chaos, may we re- never forget who this Jesus truly is. May we never forget he is the king, that he is the Messiah, that he is worthy of our worship and praise, and that when we submit to him, when we surrender, we say, Lord, save us. Save us now. He will. There are many who are watching with us this morning who may have never said, Lord, save me. I am in need of salvation, not in salvation from my health, not in salvation from my job, not in salvation from my wealth, but in salvation because I am a sinner in need of Christ. I have rebelled against God Almighty and I am going to face the wrath of God one day. But I need Jesus to save me. When we understand Christ's salvation, what he's saving us from, we are able to say our faith is in Christ and him alone. If you're, if you're this morning, if you have never done that, I pray that you would cry out to the Lord right now where you are, in your home, on your computer, on your phone, on your TV, and you'll cry out to God for salvation. It's as simple as that. Simple as saying, Lord, save me. I am in need to make you Lord and King. You are my Savior and I trust and put my full weight upon you. When you do that, God promises to be with you. This world is broken. We understand that probably more than ever. And yet God promises to send the Holy Spirit to come to live inside of you, to be the down payment for when one day we will sit in the presence of God, worshiping with palm branches because our God is victorious. Our King is victorious. 